0: Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. As you're turning to uh, Hebrews chapter 5, you know, when I was a kid, I loved school. Um, I loved going to school. I loved hanging out with my friends at school. I would go early and hang out at school. Um, I, uh, my, my buddies and I, we, we were nerds. And so we would try to see who could get the best grade on the test. We were those kind of weirdos. And so, uh, but I just loved school. But I also loved the summer break. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about summer school. Summer school, when I was a kid, in the 70s, 80s. Uh, summer school was that time when maybe because you had a lot of absences, you'd been ill or whatever, and because of all these absences, you needed to take some, you know, go back to summer school. Or maybe, maybe you had really just been trying to coast through and didn't apply yourself, and so if you're going to stay up with your grade... Uh, because of how you've done in classes. If you're going to stay up, you're going to have to take some, some summer school classes. And so uh, maybe some of you did that and had to do that. That's the way it kind of was back in the day when I, was, uh, when I was in school. But summer school was that time that you went back and, and learned some things, got refreshed on some things so that you could stay up with everybody. So that you could continue to mature. You could continue to move forward and you didn't get stuck in some other grade. You get, didn't get held back. So... Summer school was that time, and over the next few weeks, summer school's in session here at First Church. And we're going to just learn some things, relearn some things, go back and think about some things so that we can move forward, so that we can move up, and so that we can grow and mature in our faith. One of the things we like to say here at First Church maturity comes as we spend time with Jesus, growing or getting to know Jesus. So that we can become more like Jesus. I messed that up once. let me, let me try that again. Uh, maturity comes as we spend time with Jesus, getting to know Jesus so that we can become more like Jesus. So our professor, our teacher here in week one of summer school, is, we don't know for sure. Many scholars think the Apostle Paul, maybe maybe not, doesn't really matter. He wrote a book uh, to the Jewish people, the book of he- that's called Hebrews. He was writing it to these now believers who had embraced Jesus as Messiah. And they had gotten a little stuck. They needed some help. They needed to go to summer school. They needed to be reminded that that they're to be maturing and growing in their faith. Listen to what he says to them as he tries to encourage them, as he encourages us. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, he says, about this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unschooled in the word of righteousness since he, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant, practi- or constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Let's go back and that first thing that Paul says, or the the author says, and this, we have much, about this we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing so he 'd been talking about something else prior to verse eleven, and then it 's like he just interrupts his thinking as he 's teaching them some things and he, he it 's like he 's getting frustrated it 's like right here in the middle of this letter where he 's been just sharing some things that he 's really excited about. He just gets frustrated as he thinks about his audience and he thinks about that his audience just isn't isn 't growing like they should isn 't tracking along as they should he 's been talking to them again, this is what was in in the chapter, that chapter just before this. He'd been talking to them about this this idea of Christ being our high priest. He had introduced the idea of the Old Testament uh, person of Melchizedek and how Jesus is like that. And and you could tell he was getting excited and and getting all pumped up and he was going to dive deep into some deep theological truth that was going to be great for them. And he thinks, you know what? I'm like wasting my time. These guys aren't ready to hear this. They, 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 they're, they're dull. What, what did he say? You're dull of hearing is what he says. The New Living Translation says, or translates it this way, you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. An Old Testament professor, his name was Dr. Malcolm Shelton when I went to Mid-American Christian University. Dr. Shelton, uh, he just seemed back in the day so old, uh, he had, like, super wrinkly skin, and he slicked his hair back. I just want you to get a picture of Dr. Sheldon. Uh Slicked his hair straight back, and he wore back when plaid was definitely not in. He wore these suits that were totally plaid, okay? And so, and he's super short, and he would walk around mumbling to himself, and and we just, he just... He just felt super old to us, out of touch in some ways with like what was going on in the world. But uh, one of the things that we would say about Dr. Shelton, he was just this precious man of God. We would say, he's either Moses himself or he knew, he's so old he knew Moses personally. So, um, but, but Dr. Shelton had this impeccable pedigree as far as a, as a professor of Bible. He was passionate about God's word. He had all these advanced degrees, and he did postgraduate work at the Hebrew University in Israel, and he'd gone, uh, he was part of the Archaeological Society, blah, 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 and he'd gone on all these archaeological digs, and he just loved the Holy Land, and he would show us these slideshows, if you're younger, that you may struggle with what that is. It's an actual slide. It's a picture. It's really small, and he put it in this. Anyway, we wouldn't even go there. Uh, And he would show us these slideshows, and he would get so passionate that he would Sometimes get so moved that he would begin to weep. He did that, I remember, on more than one occasion. Or he'd be so excited about God's word, so passionate about God's word, that he would be weeping in class. And then he's surrounded by these knuckleheads that could care less. We would go out of class, and everybody's griping about how hard his classes are and about how hard his tests are. He's one of those professors that gave you true and false, but the true and false, you had to, and he would have the there were different parts in the true and false, and you had to tell him which part of the, if it was false, which part of the statement was actually false. So it was like so difficult, and there was so much reading, and so you just wanted to get through his classes. That's the way most students were. And I know he would get so frustrated that he couldn't articulate to us the passion that he had, that he so wanted to give to us. And I think that's the same way this writer of Hebrews, he just gets frustrated thinking about his audience. And he, he just wants them to get it. He wants them to, to, to understand in the, the depth of what, how he had come to know Christ, the maturity that he had found in Christ, but they just weren't there. He goes on to say in his frustration in verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unschooled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. He's like, you know what? You really should be farther along now in this frustration. You should have grown beyond this. In fact, you ought to be really at a place where people could learn from you. Where you could teach others. And I don't think he's really saying that you should be at a point where you could stand up in an audience or a classroom setting and and that you could teach some you know deep theological truths to a you know an audience that that, that was there, you know, in a classroom type setting. I think he's just basically saying, you know what, you ought to be living a life where people can see something in you that's different. Living a life where just by the way that you live, that you can teach someone truth. By the way that you're living out your faith. But he's just frustrated. That he's like, you're not even there. You-, you-, you can't help anybody else. You need to go back to some of those basic truths, some of the basic principles that you should know by now. I heard a story of a teacher. And this teacher had taught for like 30 years. And there was a position that had come open at, this, uh, at the school system teacher was super excited about that that position really was coveting that and thought you know I'm a shoe and I've taught for 30 years here there was another teacher that had about 10 years experience younger person and they also put in for the same role and the guy thought you know I again shoe and I've been here 30 years there's no way I'm not going to get the job well they gave it to the guy with just 10 years experience and that guy with 30 years of experience was so exasperated by that. He goes to his boss and he's, he's upset. And, and, and why in the world would you give the, the, the job to that guy instead of me? I've got 30 years experience. The administrator, you really want me to tell you why? He goes, well, sure. It's like, well, yeah, you have on paper 30 years experience, but actually in reality, you've got like three years of experience that you've used another the other 27 years. You haven't grown, you haven't matured. You you haven't continued to stay fresh. But this other person that we that we that we promoted into that position, they've got 10 years experience, but year after year after year they continually grow and mature and their passion is there. That's who we want in this role. And I would just invite you to think about your own life. Have you are you just Kind of regurgitating some of the spiritual experiences that you've had in the past and that's what you're living off of i've got pastor friends and that's where they are they're just regurgitating some of those past spiritual experiences they're stunted, and, and we can all get there that, that we just live off of, of some experience that we had back then, and we go back there, and we haven't continued to grow year over year over year and maturing. It's kind of what the writer is saying to the Hebrews here. You need milk, not solid food. When we when think about that, you think about a child that is still eating milk or drinking milk and isn't quite ready for solid food when we're a baby and and you know feeding a baby is really cute and, and all that and basically anything a little baby or a little toddler does is cute uh, our uh, my father-in-law used to say it when the boys were super small you know watching them is better than tv you know when they were little babies and and everything they do is cute I think back when uh, J- or Caleb, uh, our oldest son, when he was an infant, he just started eating solid food and Crystal was feeding him. He's in the high chair and she's feeding baby food. And he had, he had just started, he'd learned how to make a, like a motor sound with his, with his mouth, you know, that sound. And uh, as Crystal's feeding him, he combines those two uh, things. And so as she's feeding him pureed green beans, uh, he makes that motorboat sound. And when he makes that motorboat sound as, as she puts the food into his mouth, you know, you guys were right ahead of me, you can just imagine green beans going everywhere. It was all over his face. It's all over Crystal's face. It's all over the high chair. And, of course, what any good father would do, I just start laughing because it's hilarious, you know, to see Crystal with all this stuff all over her. So I'm laughing, she's laughing, and then Caleb starts laughing. And then, of course, what does he do when you put the next bite up to his mouth? Because he'd learned that, and he'd learned it with funny. And so he, and so he had to, so it's funny the first time, or maybe the second time. But then, as you get older, and that's still what he's doing as you're trying to feed him every time, it's not so cute anymore. When babies do what babies do, it's cute. When adults are still doing what babies do, it's not cute anymore. It's not cute when a child who is now 5 or 10 or 15 or 50 is still doing what they did in infancy. So you look at verse 13, and what does the writer say? For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. So we don't continue to do childlike things when we're adults. And so he's saying, you need to continue to grow up. We need to go beyond the spiritual milk. And and how how does he say that we do that when we have learned to look and to see and to live right, is what he says? When we're skilled in righteousness, when we've learned how to live right. And so as we mature in our faith, we should be maturing as we love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all of our strength. And so I'm learning to love the Lord with all my heart with all of my emotion and i'm learning to love my lord with all my soul so it's my will i'm learning to love the lord with all of my mind so it's all of my intellect and i'm learning to love the lord with all of my strength with all of my my physical body what i do how i live out my faith through what people see so in other words as we grow in our knowledge and our perspective we're growing in our knowing and as we grow in our conviction and character, we're growing in our being. And as I grow in my skills, I'm growing in my doing. And so, we all need to look at our lives and to ask ourselves the question, how are we doing? What, what, what is, as Paul, as, as the author, is, as he's talking to the Hebrews, he's talking to us, what, what do we have to apply into our own lives? As we look into our own lives, what's going on in our mind? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my actions? Asking ourselves, ourselves am I growing up? Am I maturing? Or do I still live like a spiritual infant? Verse 14, he says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their, power, through their, powers, their, have their powers of discernment, trained by constant Practice to distinguish good from evil. So, solid food is for those who have matured. And so, are you eating that solid food? Are you, are you still uh, eating baby food or are you on to solid food? Infants. It's just an exciting day when they get to the point where they can eat solid food. There's a lot of parents that are struggling to find baby formula right now that are feeding their kids formula. They're going to be really excited with the, some of the shortages when they can feed their child solid food. And how does, how does the author say how we define someone that's eating solid food? He defines that as you look at the passage. Solid food is the mature, and how is that defined? It's for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So that person that's matured, that's eating solid food, is able to discern what's right and wrong. It's able, able, that person is able to distinguish good from evil. And that seems pretty simple, except in the complex world that we live in, our world is struggling to understand, even within the walls of the church, what's right and wrong. Struggling to understand what is good and true. Struggling past the distractions that the world would offer to actually see, again, true and false. The psalmist helps us understand that as the psalmist relates to us in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So what, what the psalmist is saying is that the person that is in, in, enduring the, or enjoying the blessings of God, which are the favor of God, is the person that, that doesn't live this way. The person doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. The person doesn't stand in the way of sinners. The person doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, what he's saying is the inputs that you have that are that are defining for you right and wrong matter. So are the inputs that are helping you define what's right and wrong, what's right and true and good and evil, is that just the world? Are you letting the scoffers tell you what's right and wrong? Are you letting the, the, those who uh, their counsel is wicked, are you allowing those to influence you? Are you letting yourselves be constantly led by the cultural influencers of your day to push you to believe what they believe because it's the end thing to believe right now or the mature by contrast delight in the word of the Lord they delight in the law and they meditate on it day and night and so it's really, really important as followers of Jesus that we know what's going on in our world. And so I'm not saying that we don't listen and we don't pay attention, that we don't read well and that we don't understand what's going on in our world. Like the Men of Issachar scripture says that we understand the times so that, they know what to do, so that they knew what to do. And so we must understand the times. We need to be well read. We need to understand what's going on, but then we need to read it and understand it and look at it through the filter, not of the influences of our world, but through the influence of, of scripture. And as the psalmist writes, that we meditate on what is right and true and good as we meditate on God's word, helping us to distinguish what is right and wrong. I want to remind you today as we gather here. One of the elementary truths, again, he's saying we need to go past the elementary truths. One of those foundational truths that is a building block that we build our lives on is the foundational building block that there are things that are right and wrong, things that are true, things that are good and that evil. There are moral absolutes in our world. Great place for an amen that I didn't hear, but I'm just going to assume you were thinking it. Okay. There are things that still, no matter what culture says, that are right and wrong. Our culture would say to us that what is right and wrong, maybe for you, is different than for me. Our culture would say that, that truth is ever-evolving. And so maybe what... What was true back then or true in your generation is not necessarily true today. I get that. I understand the argument. I've heard that. But then you put that through the filter of God's word and we recognize, you know what? That's not true. That's not right. There are moral absolutes that do not change. And as followers of Jesus, Paul said to us, in the crooked and perverse generation, twisted generation that we live in, Paul said, you need to shine as lights. And so though, in the midst of our culture and what's going on in our culture, we must continue to shine. We must continue to represent Christ, to mature in our faith, to understand, again, through the filter of God's word, what is right and true. Uh, there was a guy this week, he came to my office. He was from a sister congregation, uh, and he wanted to talk to me. And so he was from a church guy congregation, but he had come out of a, of a different uh, denomination that's really wrestling and, and I, I'm not going to name them, but it's a, it's a group that's being split apart right now that's dividing along. Uh, they, there are some that want to abandon just some classic truth that we find in God's word because the culture is saying, no, we're over here. And so they want to go where culture is. And there's this other group that's saying, no, we want to continue to to espouse and stand on the truth of God's word. And so there is this divide. And so he's asking me the question, where is the church of God and where is the church of God going? And where are you going and where is this church going? That's an important question. He said, as we were talking and having that conversation, he said, you know what? Um, Unless you, you really continue to stand strong, you're probably just, just, you know, a, a decade or so behind this other group. And so that question matters. And so it's a question for us. And so, First Church, who are we going to be? Are we going to continue to stand on the truth of God's word? Are we going to continue to stand when, when our culture would buffet us and our culture and the winds of change would, would, would toss us around? We will, will we stand on the truth of God's word? That question matters. Because, friends, we will stand one day not answering to our culture, but we will stand one day answering to our God. And we must continue to stand on God's word and remain faithful. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying, that you need to continue by constant practice, he says, discern what is right and wrong. There's one other final verse that I want us to catch. It's at the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 1, of or, chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And so one of the things that, if you've been around here at First Church for some time, uh, what I always say, always say when you see the word therefore in Scripture, you need to ask the question, what's it there for? So what does, what's that word therefore? Because it's a new chapter, but we can't just just read it and not think about what he's just said. And what he just said impacts this verse. And what he's just been talking about is how we need to continue to grow up in our faith. How we need to uh, continue to mature. That we need to continue to practice and discern what is right and wrong and stand on that. We need to leave, he says, the elementary doctrine And continue to move now he doesn't mean leave like that word is not doesn't mean abandon what he means is to let that be the foundation and we build on it build on that foundation so he said let's move on or let's move up let's mature to deeper truths and so we need to move past repentance from dead works he says in other words we need to move past repentance to sin need to move beyond uh, this idea that 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 we can't help it that that we that that i am I'm, I'm in bondage to sin and you know that, that's that's not what paul says in romans that we can find victory that we can that we can grow in our faith that we can be empowered by the holy spirit that we can as we live fully surrendered lives to christ that we can move past as paul says the sin that so easily entangles us that we can find victory. Jesus said, I've come that you have life and life more abundantly. So not life like you were before you came to Christ, but to find victory. And we can find that in Christ. And so let's embrace that abundant life to build on those truths and then to move on. To grow up or to go up or to move up to maturity, not laying again the foundation of faith towards God. So in other words, we have just, we settle the fact that there is a God that he loves us, that he sent Christ to die, that we can have life and, and that we can, we can settle that and then build on those truths to find deeper and deeper truths. To build on that foundation and move on to maturity. Not like the teacher that has three years of experience. that can, He continues to use 27 more years in his teaching career And so let's not just live off of yesterday's spiritual experiences, but let's continue to strive to grow and to to mature in our faith. It's clear that in this passage that he's telling us to mature. And when you look at this passage, it's not an isolated passage talking about growing and maturing in our faith. You can see it throughout all of scripture, this idea to move up and to grow in our faith and mature in our faith, that that matters as a follower of his. And so it's really important as we talk about this to not think that we're, talking about to, uh, that we're talking about salvation. We're not talking about, well, if you just grow enough and you mature enough, then finally you'll get to a point that, that when you stand before God, you'll be able to get into heaven. No, your faith, your eternal life is based on your, your faith in Christ. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you embraced Christ? Have you, have you acknowledged the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and that he died for your sins and you've repented and, and you've put your faith in Christ? If you've done that, then that's settled and you don't have to then worry about what we're talking about here in terms of am I, you know, I going to make it to heaven or not? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about until that time he calls us home that we're becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ, that I'm growing in my faith, that my world sees me and they see the difference that Christ has made in me. That I'm able, through my example, through the way that I live my life, that people can see. Can see that Christ is in me, that I'm different, that I'm shining, like like Paul said, as a light in the darkness. And so, the question that we just need to evaluate today, we're not talking about salvation, we're talking about our growth. Are you, do you need to grow up? Do you need to start not just drinking spiritual milk, but to, to pull the steak out and to cut a slice off and to grow do you need to grow beyond infancy as a follower of Christ? And so let's just do a little assessment. Let me just ask you some questions. So uh, to ask yourself, am I growing in my behavior? Am I growing in my beliefs, my theology, what I know? Am I growing in my holiness, in my surrendered day-to-day life? Do I, have I surrendered my life to Christ and I'm, uh, I, I give my life? I've set aside my life to, God, I want you to use me. I want you to make a difference in somebody else's life. Use my life to to change the world through me? Am I growing in my understanding of the nature of suffering? Or or am I in the remedial class? Every time something bad happens to me, I have to relearn the idea that, that, that Scripture tells me, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to walk alone. I walk with you. That every time you go through a tough time, you have to relearn that. Or can you build on what you know and what you experienced so you don't relive the same spiritual lesson over and over and over and over again? How are you doing? How are you doing in your willingness to surrender your time and your talents and your treasure to the purpose of God? Am I still living with that childlike attitude? It's all mine. Don't touch my stuff. Even with God. Or have we grown up? I, have I grown up in my willingness to share my faith? Have I grown up by letting the fruit of the Spirit define who I am so that people see in me love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that they see that in me? That's, that's a picture of who I am in and more and more, in and, you know, deeper and deeper ways as I move forward. First church, we want to be a church that's characterized by spiritual growth, that's characterized by a deep spiritual maturity, that we are a place that's growing beyond the elementary teachings of what it means to follow Jesus, that we, we're a place that we hold one another accountable. We're a place where we encourage one another. We support one another. We're there for one another, whether that's a table group or a small group or a, or a, a ministry team or some class that we're in, that, that we continue to strive to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, and we spur one another on to love and good deeds, the scripture says. We're a church that strives together as individuals to love the Lord our God with all of our heart with all of our soul with all of our mind and with all of our strength it's something that we need to consider not just as a church but for me to consider individually and so what am I doing to get past the elementary teachings to get past the milk and onto the meat so I'm just going to tell you what I do personally. This is, I'm not telling you need, you need to do this. I'm just talking about me. And I'm just giving you an example because you need to figure out what you can do so that you can continue to mature. So you can start eating some meat. What does that look like? So for me, it means I get up before the crack of day to go work out so I can be, have my mind and my body in a good, healthy place. And so then I can be ready. I can sit down. I can get in God's word. I can have a time of prayer. I have, uh, I've never been good at journaling stuff. I've always struggled with that and people talk about that and I've always you know, felt guilty about doing that. But I've got this uh, mentor in my life right now that has been challenging me to do that. And so I'm doing it. So I've been trying to do that. So I read a scripture and then uh, when I find a passage that really is meaningful to me, I physically write it out. And this write a blurb, a little something about what that passage just means to me prayerfully as I meditate on it. And then I just begin to pray. And I write those prayers out. And I'm just praying uh, for the church. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for uh, uh, you. Uh, when I learn you got a surgery or something coming up, then I, you know, I write your name down. I'm praying for you. And, and then I've got prayer things that when they get answered, I write that in the back. And, and so just that's what I do. And I, I meet every other week with this mentor, and he's encouraging me and helping me to grow in my faith. I don't know what you need to do, but you've got to start somewhere. So we've give, we have devotions that, we, that are laying around these devotional booklets. That's a great place to start. Or there's a great Bible app that you can go and there's any number of Bible reading plans that you could do. You can, you can listen to it if you don't, you're not good at reading stuff. You can just literally listen to Scripture. All I'm saying is, where are you starting? Where are you? What are you doing? How are you maturing? I love the words of Dallas Willard I've shared with you before. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. So again, we're not earning our salvation, but we're putting the effort in to grow. Effort, he writes, is action. Earning is attitude. You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. I want to stand up here, and I want you to see me on fire by the grace of God. And I do better at that than other days, but I strive after that. I want that for us, for what, as Jesus says, is a profit of man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul. So as our worship team comes back up, let's make this a summer of striving for a deeper walk in Christ, to make our souls deeper and wider and more attuned to the things of the Spirit. The most important thing, Willard writes, is not what you do, but it's who you become. And who are you becoming? I want to conclude with a parable from the prologue to the classic work by Ortberg, Soul Keeping. And as I read this, and then we'll have a time of prayer, as I pray, if you've never invited Christ to be your Savior, uh, as I pray for you, I just want to pray with you. I want to encourage you to do that. Put your faith, put your trust in Christ today. He loves you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And then as I read this, if you're a follower of Jesus, to just let the Spirit work and let Him speak to you, And convict you, and to hear his still small call to a deeper place in your walk. So, there once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. "'Children laughed and played beside it. "'Swans and geese swam on it. "'You could see the rocks and the sand "'and the rainbow trout that swarmed "'at the bottom of the stream. "'High in the hills, far far beyond anyone's sight, "'lived an old man who served "'as the keeper of the springs. "'He'd been hired so long ago "'that no one could remember a time "'when he wasn't there. "'And he would travel from spring to spring "'through the hills, removing branches "'and fallen leaves or debris "'that might pollute the water.' but his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford, and so the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse muddied the liquid flow. "'Mud and silt compacted the, the creek bed. Farm waste turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. "'And for a time, no one in the village noticed. "'But after a while, the water was not the same. "'It began to look brackish, and swans flew away to live elsewhere. "'The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. "'Some people in town began to grow ill. "'All noticed the loss of the sparkling beauty "'that used to flow between the banks of the stream that fed the town.'" The life of the village depended on the stream. The life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened. The money was found and the old man was rehired. And after yet another time, the springs were cleaned and the stream was pure. And children played again on its banks and illness was replaced by health. And swans came home and the village began to come back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper and so my question as we conclude today how friends is your soul and how are you doing my friend as the keeper of it let's stand so heavenly father today as we as we worship in this final song and we have some space God to hear from you to listen to you to sense the still small pull of your spirit God, I pray for that person that has never embraced Christ as their Savior. And so today, God, I pray, Father, that as we have talked about your desire to mature us, and to grow us, and be alive in us, God, I pray that for that person as they confess their sin and they put their faith in you, maybe for the first time. God, I thank you for setting them free, whether they're in this room or by radio or online. God, thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. Thank you for the new life in Christ that is ours today. And God, for those of us who have not been tending to our soul maybe as we should and today as God you are speaking to us we recognize that and we feel that conviction father and that realization God I pray father that you would help us not to go out of here beaten down but God encouraged encourage God that you love us so much that you want to be in deep abiding growing relationship with us and so father today we say back to you yes God I want that too And so, God, I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to put the effort in as I am the keeper of my own soul. And, Father, I pray that you would flood us with your spirit. You would pour your blessing out on us, God, as we seek after you, as we grow in you. And, God, we're not going to get it all right all the time. But, God, we just want want more and more of you. And so as we sing this final song, I pray, God, that our words would help us to be able to articulate our love for you, our passion for you, our desire to know more of you. Work in us today. In the name of Christ, I pray. Thank you, God, for not giving up on us, for loving us and wanting more in us. In the name of Christ, we pray.